It's a new day in the workroom and we're here to have a slightly different style of Kiki this week. Yeah, exactly. So I am actually heading off on my holidays uh, this week. So we actually won't have time to do a recap of Holland episode two. So instead we have a great chat about a fantastic movie that you may know called Death Becomes Her. I mean, gay icons, wall-to-wall gay icons, and also Bruce Willis. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we are joined by editor of entertainment.ie, Brian M. Lloyd, to sort of dissect the movie, get to the root of its sort of gay impact, and does it stand up after all these years? Spoiler alert, yes, it does. Does. Okay, <laughs> so different sort of episode, but just as enjoyable. Uh, so we're going to open the chat with a little summary of the movie in case you haven't seen it. We need a refresher. Death Becomes Her came out in 1992 and was billed as a dark comedy fantasy film. The movie follows three characters, Madeleine Aston, played by Meryl Streep, who is an actress, Helen Sharp, who's played by Goldie Hawn, an aspiring uh, author, and Ernst Menville, played by Bruce Willis, a plastic surgeon. Madeleine and Helen are long-time frenemies who are obsessed with being more beautiful and successful than the other, and, de- and this comes in the form of demanding more attention from Ernest. The rivalry gets so heated it leads to the two of them drinking a potion that promises eternal life and everlasting youthful appearance. The movie's original ending saw Bruce Willis' character fake his own death and run off with a barmaid played by Tracy Ullman. However, early audience hated this ending. So shortly before release, they recorded a new ending, uh, which was much more darker, which we won't spoil for you, but we might discuss later on. The movie was directed by Robert Zemeckis, who had just wrapped up the Back to the Future trilogy and would go on to win an Academy Award for Forrest Gump the following year. An Easter egg in the movie uh, exists such that when Helen says when she drank the potion on the 5th of November 1985 was the same day that the events of Back to the Future 1 took place. The movie came out in a period of time when witches and potions and the occult was hitting it big in the box office. Movies like Witches of Eastwick, Beetlejuice and Hocus Pocus were all having big releases uh, in the previous and subsequent years. The movie even opened on the same week as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, but was much more successful. Watching Death Becomes Her, where two ostensibly awful women tear each other to shreds over the affections of an entirely unremarkable man, raises an interesting question. Why are gay men so obsessed with divas? And why have this pair of polyfiller queens gone on to have inspired cosplay, untold drag performances, pride screenings, and even a runway category on RuPaul's Drag Race? Maybe it's the undeniable entertainment value of two women swinging shovels at each other, or perhaps it has something to do with members of the LGBT community relating to individuals who have the gall to assert their own worth, even as it directly contradicts the value placed in them by the rest of society. In their biographical documentary, Drag Becomes Him, Drag Race Season 5 winner Jinx Monsoon ties Helen and Madeline to a lineage of beloved bad women who dared to be both divinely stylish and unrepentantly ambitious, saying that why they appeal so much to queer people is it's something to do with feeling like an outcast and imagining yourself in a position of power where even though you're the outcast, you still have some kind of power and strength within you. Though 
although Madeline and Helen are both technically cast as villains in the film, watching now, it's impossible not to see them as sympathetic figures. They're fighting to keep the status which their beauty once afforded them. They're fighting against the system and we root for them because they're trying to win a game that's rigged against them and all too often as an experience shared by queer people. That hot take is not as original as it may seem and you'll see lots of articles online that will tell you how for as long as anyone can remember, divas, divas have spoken to us about their shared experience of oppression and how they've overcome it and how that is just so damn empowering. And joining us to get to the heart of why this movie is called Classic is movie editor with entertainment.ie, Brian M. Lloyd. Thank you for joining us, Brian. Hey, how are you? So uh, I was wondering, so we've done a little little summary there. I was curious whether you would be able to, first of all, is there anything we missed? Anything you, you feel we should have uh, expanded on or have poorly characterized? Not at all. In <laughs> fact, it's in fact, I have to be honest with you. I was kind of not dreading this, but I was kind of like I, I watched it for the first time about, I'd say, uh, two, three years last night. And um, I was watching, I was thinking, okay, this is clearly camp. Like, it's so campy. Like, the costumes, yeah. the music, Isabella Rossellini's accent, <laughs> um, all of it. Like, at the end, when they're, walking out of the, when they're walking out of the church, like, and they're all so cynical and kind of angry, it was like, yeah, this is totally camp. Like, I mean, it's not John Waters' camp, but it's mm. definitely on the, yeah. on, the, on the line. But to... It's until you were until you were saying it there, James. I was like, I was thinking, okay, I, how would I, I relate this to the queer community? And like, the reason I, I mean, not just because of the fact that I'm a painfully straight man on an Ernest Melville level straight, but like, I couldn't relate to it. Well, I thought that I couldn't relate to it, but like, it was sort of like, how is this queer? Because like, I mean, there's no sort of like kind of sapphic relationship between. Uh, Madeline and Helen mm. you know I mean there is maybe like one or two kind of moments where there's a sort of lingering kiss or a lingering look and you're thinking okay is mm-hmm. the reason they hate each other because they just actually want to do each other or something like that and then even at that that's a pretty weak take but as you were describing it there James it was like oh, f- oh, yeah that's actually right yeah I mean it, the whole kind of the, the sort of the empowerment of it and the idea of two outsiders imagining themselves in a position of power and that kind of, yeah, that kind of, not yearning, but like that sort of really dark desire. And um, yeah, and like, yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that like drag queens r- relate to it. Now, in you saying that now, so no, definitely you didn't miss anything at all. Yeah. And in terms of the two actors like Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn, you know, where does this movie come for them in their careers? Because it kind of seems like a bit of an odd choice because well, maybe because I just see Meryl Streep now as a typecast, serious actor and Goldie Hawn kind of has taken a step back. Was this a sort of left left field move for them, do you think? Not necessarily. No, I think Meryl Streep is the kind of actor that like she probably, I would bet if you got all, if you took all cameras away, if you took all microphones away and you just like cornered her almost in a room and got her drunk and be like Meryl do you really like being a serious actor she'd probably fucking hate sorry for cursing I would say she's like I hate it I hate the Oscars I hate going I'm always there I never win I haven't won in years I hate this because like she did like did you see the prom yeah yes okay I didn't like it good okay right I see you shaking your head Keen. good okay yeah I I hated it and it's not just because I hate James Corden I just, and I like, I like Ryan Murphy. Like I, I, I loved, um, I loved uh, American Crime Story. I loved mm, the assassination yeah. of Jennifer. And Feud is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like totally. Like, and you know, even Halston, for example, like I loved how kind of lush and just, yeah, like it's, he's really, really good and yeah. he knows his stuff. But like, 
the problem I just I couldn't get on with it like and like I don't terribly like musicals either so that probably didn't help things but like yeah I would say like I, I have no trouble believing Meryl Streep would much well not I, I don't know, happier but like I know she would I, I, I always get the sense that she's like I wish somebody would just come up to me and give me like a big stupid broad comedy script because I just yeah run with it like Goldie Hawn Clearly, like, you know, Overboard and Foul Play and Bird on a Wire and, you know, uh, all the comedy she's done. Like, she's a known talent in comedy. But Meryl Streep, I think she just doesn't get, she doesn't, just doesn't get offered them. Mm. Well, like, the so, problem and other than that, like, Mamma Mia were, like, the two counterpoints they had yeah. to that serious narrative. Yeah. And, like, yeah, they don't yeah. seem normal for, for Meryl Streep. But I, I don't know because I think that you, you can see that she loves this kind of camp side of things. Because, like, there is Mamma Mia and there, yeah. there's, there's... And I think that she plays that, like, over-the-top diva so well. I mean, like, I'm surprised that The Devil Wears Prada hasn't come up yet because it's kind of that massive, over-the-top villain. Like, almost like an Ursula the Sea Witch kind of villain. And she plays it so well and seems to... Like, even if you think, like, the, the opening sequence of this film where she's doing that, like, song all about her at the beginning. Like, it's just... It's mesmerizing to watch and you can tell she's really enjoying it and she seems to fit it really well. But because I think kind of comedy gets looked down on a bit in in terms of movies, people are like, oh no, if you're going to be like Meryl Streep, we have to kind of like sweep your your kind of like camp performances under the carpet a bit and just focus about that time you paid the like miserable nun in that film a couple of years ago or or. Victor- no, I can't remember who she played in the in the hours, but you know, it's like that's the stuff that she gets like remembered for. Or, like, that's the stuff that she gets, like, pegged for um, yeah. it, when people are talking about how great she is. Totally. Even though I would say that you would struggle to find a more iconic performance than The Devil Wears Prada. Miranda, Miranda Priestly. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, in fact, even, it's funny, you mentioned that kind of, um, you mentioned the, the opening the opening musical bit. Um, it made me, t- like, the shot of it, like, the way it kind of starts up in the, in, the, in the sky and then comes down into the building and goes in, it made me think of the birdcage. Yes. That brilliant! Mm. You know the opening shot of the birdcage when it's coming right yeah. in over the water, and like it goes right into the into the club like that. It made me think of that. Yeah. Like, but yeah, that's but that's even really that slow in- pan out, I thought was great because you end up seeing the full theater. Like the camera's actually at the back of the room, but you don't realize that till right at the end or whichever way they do it. Like you yeah, know, it, yeah, that was very clever. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely yeah. There's always a thing of like you not that, not that she would do it or maybe wouldn't do it. I don't know, but like. I would never see Meryl Streep doing a kind of a subtle comedy, mm-hmm. if you know that yeah. kind of way. Because like, because I would say she only ever gets offered, if she does, the rare time that she does, they're big silly ones like The Prom, like this. Or like, like I mean, I know Devil Wears Prada is kind of, it is a sort of a subtle comedy, but she's not no. playing a subtly no. <laughs> at all. Like she's playing it like feckin', as you say, like Ursula the Sea Witch yeah. or Cruella de Vil or any of those things, by the way. So yeah, like it's it's funny. Like I think she's like, she has a real, I like she, it, just go, to go back to that opening scene, like she has such a command of time. And I think because like the bit when she's like, Fixing her, fixing herself, and she's like just doing the yeah, <laughs> and she's yeah. like, like she, I'm, I'm doing the shot face when she walks in. She like rehearses it three times, like and she's just like yeah. it's like that second time is like that's what makes it even funnier. Like it's yeah, no, she's like she's such a she's such a, a clever comedy performer. Like I'm, I'm I it but it, 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 it always whenever I see her in like a serious film, it's like okay, I know you're gonna be great. I know you're gonna knock this out of the park, but. 
Jesus, just do something fun yeah. once. Like, come on, <laughs> just give me something. <laughs> Who did you find yourself rooting for in the movie? Did you find yourself rooting for Madeline or Helen or even Bruce, you know, Ernest? Or did you hate them all? I, uh, no, like, no, I mean, I definitely, I suppose Goldie Hawn, just because, like, I love Goldie mm-hmm. Hawn, like, but, um, yeah, probably Goldie Hawn. Like, and she ha- I, I feel Goldie Hawn, if we're giving out awards for best costume, I feel Goldie Hawn won. Like, the bit when she's, like, dressed in black, and has the little beret on and the sunglasses on in the mm. middle of the night, by the way. <laughs> uh, you know, like flipping herself over the gate. Like, I, I, she's like that walk that she does, which is, I don't know. And then when the car reverses, yeah, yeah. I like barely touches yes! her head. That's like, again, we're talking about like great shots. I remember watching that last time. It was like, how the hell did that happen? Like, and. Mm. Fair play because like I was I was looking out for the cut where like the stunt performer would come in or something like that and yeah. I couldn't see it like now I'm sure there was a stunt performer clearly there was but like yeah I was watching it was like wow that is a really good shot like how they just all done in one take yeah but um no I I definitely I definitely uh, gravitated to uh, Helen Sharp I mean just because like she was wronged so much do you know what I mean like I mean Madeline. I mean, like, okay, fine. She was from Newark. <laughs> like, I love that. Like, my God, Ernest, she's from Newark. <laughs> but um, uh, no, like, I mean, Madeline was sort of like kind of take, 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 whereas Helen was taken from. And I kind of, I don't know, that I felt that felt more righteous to me than Madeline. Madeline was just being, I don't want to say, but she was just being a bitch. Like, yeah. because like she was just taken from everybody, like. But then again, I suppose I, I, I found myself rooting from uh, Meryl and Madeline more yeah. so than Goldie Hawn for some reason. So maybe it's just because I prefer Meryl as an actress, but also I kind of was like, well, she can't help the guy. The guy chose her, like you know, it's this classic pitting women against each other. The issue is with the guy. Yeah, well. totally. like, no, leave Madeline alone. Yeah, yeah, and not only that as well, but like her, like you know, the the sort of the slow march of time and her own kind of irrelevance that was taken from her yeah. as well. So like she feels she has to kind of build herself up by finding weak-willed men. What are you about? What, I mean, who, who would you have gone for, James? I, like, I, I don't know. I kind of can't separate the two of them. It was interesting thinking about it, though, because yeah. I, I remember when I saw it, like, very, very, very first, when I saw it, like, back in the 90s, kind of, when I would have been, like, basically a child, so I wouldn't have been sure what was going on. I had this, like, real strong affinity for Bruce Willis, possibly because of a burgeoning, burgeoning homosexuality. But I also was just like, sure, yeah. like, this poor guy, these two women are terrible. But watching it now, I was like, I actually love both of these women equally and hate that man so much. I, like... Like I could not get over how much I disliked Bruce Willis's character and that whole storyline about him. I just I want I was so angry that he got like a happy ending. I that made me so furious. I was like, this is not fair and not right. He did not deserve this redemption arc that came after the after the the, the credits that rolled. Um, but I think that to be honest with you. I'd say that Goldie for me because I just really love Goldie Hawn and I loved how like because it only yeah. occurred to me that your man Robert Zemeckis had also done um, had also done Who Framed Roger Rabbit and then in that opening sequence you have mm. her very much in the Jessica Rabbit outfit and that like was a moment yeah. of like oh my god because you know Jessica Rabbit is perfect beauty like the the, the perfect diva mm. and so I think for me it was probably Goldie but overall mm. it was just I hate Bruce Willis oh yeah totally like that ending like when like I, I love when they're walking out and when the priest says like uh, eternal life and they just stop and you're like 
oh, is this going to be the moment? Are they going to get it? Is this going to happen for them? And then just Meryl, yeah, Meryl goes, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Walks off and I'm like, yes, yes, brilliant. Like, And it's so like, it's it, even when they zip up their, their faces or whatever and they're all just bitching. Like, okay, I, I should preface this now because like, I, I, I'm, it, 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 it's come up naturally. I've only seen... And I'm, and I'm, I, I know this is a RuPaul drag race, drag race uh, uh, show. I've seen one episode. I've seen one episode. Now I'll explain. Like I'll, I will explain this, and this kind of goes back to my point. I watched one episode of it, and I couldn't get into it. And it wasn't because it was like really gay or anything like that. That had nothing to do with it. It was because they were so bitchy to each other. They were so mean. And I was like, they're so mean. Like, wait, like they're all like, like oh, I couldn't. I could. Where's the solidarity? And like, I mean, I know from like, I've talked to like people who are really, really into it and they say, oh, that comes later yeah. on in the season or whatever. But the bit when they were like at the at the end, when they're on the church steps roaring at each other, well, not yeah. roaring, but like kind of like back and forth at each other. That's very, it, when I was watching, I was like, oh yeah, that's yeah. like Drag Race. I've, I've, they're having that kind of like bitchy kind of catty kind of back and forth, like, you know, but um. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had to get that out just because, like, I didn't. No, I think no. I think I agree with you though, because it's like I, I a lot of a lot of my a lot of like my straight friends who would have watched an episode or two of Drag Race Day having that exact same reaction to it, where they're like, "Oh God, but they're so cruel to each other." Yeah, and it's like I don't know what's because if it's because I'm kind of part of the the queer community where there is that harshness. And like very direct kind of um, like almost aggressive kind of, you, you know, kind of slagging of each other. Yeah. But it comes from a place of love. So it's like, it's OK, but it can be hard to get into that because it feels so abrasive initially. Um, and like, I I, I really, I, I really like that part of the show where even though they can be, they can be mean to each other, but it's in a clever way. Oh, yeah. Like Keen will, t- Keen will, Keen will tell you like whenever there's like fighting where I, I, I appreciate a good joke at someone's expense if it's done right and it's funny but like when it's just bitchy or mean for the point of it then it's like that's not like that's not going down that road yeah Whereas these two divas are so kind of like so good at cutting each other expertly I think also there's an element of of US TV that kind of amps up the competition and even like do you remember Fear Factor back in yeah. the day when someone Jesus. had to eat like a bowl of eyes and people yeah. were pretending to retch like I think if you were to, interested in delving back in maybe try the UK one because you'd be more familiar with their sensibilities there yeah. and be able to gauge how how harsh or not the jokes might be yeah like, that can sometimes be missed yeah yeah, like the, like the competition thing yeah because like the only TV like reality TV show that I would watch with any like passion i would say is like below deck and like there's a i know like below deck like there's a lot of like uh, gay people on it. and when they're on it like they they really are catty like they really do kind of like are and yeah. like even kind of like subtle ways like where they're kind of like undermining the the deck crew or, or undermining the stewards or whatever but um no, yeah. But it ties back to Miranda Priestly, right? Like she's so catty, but it's so entertaining. Yes. Like, by all means, move at a glacial pace. You know how much that thrills me. Like it's just it's so, so yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you think is about the movie that makes that makes it work? Like, what do you think that makes it that sort of cult classic? I think because like it's so dark. I think I just I really do think like that kind of black, and I mean pitch black humor. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't really exist anymore and also as well the fact that like you know studios for all this kind of you know talk of like you know studios trying to uh, cash in on the kind of the woke dollar or whatever 
Um, and I hate that. I, f- I fucking hate yeah. that term. But like, and I and saying it, I was like, oh, don't say it. And then I said it. And I was like, oh, Jesus. I could see you grimace as you yeah, said. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for noting that. Yeah, good, good. Because um, but like, I know, I I would not see. I I don't think studios would have the have the chutzpah to um, to put two leading ladies in their I guess forties or fifties. Um, mm-hmm. doing a film like that with the budget that that had with a director like that um, I I don't think you'd see it like I they don't make no. films like and I know that's really kind of cliche but they really don't make films like Death Becomes Her anymore because they are taking it's quite a gamble um, yeah. and I think it's willingness to kind of completely embrace that black that darkness in it I think is really exciting. It's yeah. cartoon levels of violence, but like it's still quite quite violent. Like, and I just I don't think I don't think studios go to that. I don't not even extreme, but they don't they don't buy in as as that much anymore. It always has to be mm. tempered by yeah. some sort of resolution of a positive arc. Like, and like even again when yeah. Bruce Willis's character when he gets as we were talking about like the whole he gets the redemption arc at the end. You know the fact that the two main characters have just are can't can't stand it. Like that's even that is rare yeah. in these days. I think. Yeah, but even like that 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 billing of a dark comedy fantasy film that seems alien now yeah. in twenty twenty one. Like there, no movies are like that, and if they are a fantasy, they're a big franchise, Lord of the Rings style, yeah. twelve yeah. movie epic. It, it is it is interesting if you look in the because I I when we were when I was when we knew I was going to do this, I looked back at kind of like what was going on around that time, and it's so like it's so it's actually it really has a feeling of that period and like there's a lot of those movies like Beetlejuice came out or that like it has it has such a feeling of like that kind of like very early Tim Burton over it obviously obviously like Robert Smith like what he was doing around that time all felt that way it had this sort of like over the top cartoon campness with like a really dark undertone running through it and I don't think you see that like I don't think you you get that anymore because everything has to be kind of either it's like like Marvel or it's kind of like super packed like you know super sincere yeah. like i think we're in a period of time where things seem to be really sincere and everything has to be kind of about kind of you know building people up and progressive wokeness which can be kind of boring to to watch and you'd like to see someone take a chance on something like this in a way that like gave it the opportunity to just let just see what happens yeah because even like the first opening scene i turned to my boyfriend and was like this feels really stephen kingy or something yes like that. i was just like this feels really stephen king and even then during it he was like oh the music's really hitchcockian so it has those sort of like dark layers yeah. built into them that feel really familiar yeah and even saying that as well like you were, you mentioned at the start like which of e- witches of eastwick came out at the same time like to me witches of eastwick is another kind of big campy thing like and the yeah. fact that they were kind of in that, like, you know, Beetlejuice, uh, which is of Eastwick, and this. Like, yeah, that kind of sort of, um, kind of like, gothic art deco uh, design. Like, I mean, uh, Liesel's, like, whole house is just, you know, the big tall windows and her, you know, that, that gown thing that she wears. And even her haircut, like, it looks like real yeah. sort of, like, Tamara de Lampica art, like, you know, that kind of way. It's really, really yeah. strong. And that was a big thing for uh for tim burton and for george miller as well so like and i think just in the 90s as well like especially the early 90s like art deco and the jazz age was having a resurgence and the idea of something so decadent i and i would describe death becomes her as a decadent film it's because it doesn't hold back on anything 
comedy, darkness, whatever, special effects. Um, that, again, is kind of seen as a bit au fait now. And I think the reason for that is, is just because, you know, studios aren't prepared to give that kind of attention and money to something that is not immediate, as you were saying, uh, James, not immediately uh, positive. Okay, fine. I know Helen does have a bit of a sort of uh, origin story in that, like, you know, when she's in the when she's in the the the, the uh, mental institute or whatever and she's huge which funny i think is the weakest part of the story i really do think they could have they could have cut that out and she just turns back up and it's like she looks amazing and it's like yeah i i, I didn't need to yeah. see all that kind of stuff. but I, I yeah one of my issues was the time jumping it's like here you are and then you're seven years again and then you're seven years again and you're like oh god i haven't really found my feet and yeah kind of, that was a real issue yeah, yeah. Um, and you mentioned no, special effects there i think something that's worth we're talking about is this movie won the Academy Award for special effects and the special effects team went on to work on Jurassic Park and that's kind of what they based this on. And the special effects are quite good. Like, I still don't know how they managed to do that when she drinks the potion of eternal youth and her boobs, you know, re-perk up and yeah. her face goes all youthful. <laughs> and like, hmm. Now, the, when her head is twisted around on her body and she's giving sort of Professor Lupin from Harry Potter, I was like, okay, I can see how that works. Yeah. <laughs> it's still impressive that 28 years on, I'm still not sure how it works. Oh, yeah, totally. And, like, even, like, I love how th- there's such a willingness to, to use his special effects for a laugh. It's never used mm. in any sort of, like, look at this. It's done in a yeah. real, like, when, like, the bit when, and it's one of my favourite bits in him, in the in the shovel fight, um, when she breaks the shovel and then like <laughs> flings it right at Goldie Hawn and goes through her, she's like, "Yes, oh damn!" <laughs> like, <laughs> like we were talking about cartoons. Like, I mean, even the bit when um, uh, uh, when she shot with the shotgun and she goes flying through the air, like, yeah, like. That's but the, hold on, the bit where she has the hole in her stomach and she sits back on the couch and it with goes the right thing through. sticking out right to her, I was like, that is gold. <laughs> like, like, but that's it. Like, it's total Looney Tunes, uh, mm. uh, uh, cartoon, Tom and Jerry, whatever, violence. Yeah. Like, it's it's so overt. It's so, like, the, the shotgun may as well have had, like, a big pow sound effect coming out of it <laughs> or something. Like. Um, but yeah, yeah. like, the, the special effects, like, yeah, I love the fact that they... It wasn't just for aesthetic. It was actually used for comedic purposes, like, and used very, very mm-hmm. well. Like, you can really see that Robert Zemeckis um, had an appreciation for what he was making, in the sense of like, this, like, there's no point trying to, you know, apply the laws of physics here. Like, that blast wouldn't have thrown anyone that high. Like, she literally like goes up and then down. Like, that wouldn't <laughs> work. Like. But like he's like he's like screw it I don't care it looks good just do it and like yeah. boom so yeah, yeah. yeah. no I, I I agree I think that like the special effects were kind of like obviously they were groundbreaking for the time yeah. when it was made but they didn't rely on them to such an extent where kind of it where you get kind of sick of seeing it like a lot like you know like fight sequences in Marvel Marvel movies now where it's sort of like you know or. Or even, like, I remember back in the Lord of the Rings, there was, like, this yeah. massive fight sequence, and at one point, like, that elf comes down the thing on a on a skateboard, basically, and, like, and it's just, like, this is too much. Like, I, I don't care about this. It doesn't feel... This is detracting from the story you're trying to tell, whereas all of that, like, married really nicely, and it was funny as well. So it was, you were always reminded, even in these really grim and grotesque moments, that this is a comedy. Like, I loved the bit where uh, Goldie smashed um, oh, yeah. Meryl over the head, and then you had, like, the... <laughs> You had like you had to pull her head up, and it was like that moment 
with her. It's just her eyes looking over. And I was like, that was so funny, but also so mm. grotesque. Yeah. And even the bit... That's proper itchy and scratchy stuff. Yeah, right? exactly. Like a mallet. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And like, even the fact when she has to pull her hair up like this, and she's just like <laughs> having the conversation. Like, again, that's the thing. Like, you, you were talking about that. Like, that's a practice. Like, you're buying that her head is going to fall down because she's like really just like got a good grip of her hair. Like, you know? Yeah. Okay, so in order to be able to sort of categorize it and give this movie a score, James and I had a chat about like certain criteria we're going to rank the movie under just to see how how well it scores. Yeah. And if yeah. we want to do more movies in the future, then we kind of have this template that we can use going forward to kind of directly compare. So the four categories we chose were relatability, does it reflect the queer experience or does it have queer appeal? Storytelling, does the story unfurl naturally and does it feel fitting style do we like how it was shot what they were wearing do we like what music was chosen and then enjoyability would we watch it again were we entertained did we find ourselves looking at our phone all that sort of stuff so first up is sort of relatability james what did you give it for this so i said i gave it seven because because I think probably because of like reading back through an awful lot of stuff about kind of how divas have ended up being this kind of uh, I suppose facsimile for the the queer community and like that finding it I I found that story and also like even though it was ridiculous and over the top that is the experience that women do have in Hollywood in some ways and that like there's mm-hmm. a value placed on them based on their beauty and they age out in a way that like male stars don't have. So even though it was like ridiculous, grotesque and over the top, I thought it was quite relatable. So I said seven. <laughs> Brian? <laughs> yeah, relatability. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, th- I, I in, after our discussion, yeah, I definitely see a, a far more relatability to the queer experience. I mean, obviously I can't speak to the queer experience because I'm, I'm not queer, mm. but like, I mean, definitely, yeah. I mean, uh, you've definitely opened my eyes to a side of this that I didn't see before. So I'll probably go for seven as well. Seven or eight, I think. Mm-hmm. I went for a six, um, I suppose, because obviously by nature of the, all the movies we've chose are in some way related, that this is more of the like facsimile over the experience rather the experience of itself yeah. you know, the characters are directly queer there's no talking about directly queer themes um, and I just suppose for me I was constantly comparing so it's it's that glamorous it's that cattiness that's really that's the appealing it's the fun part of it that is the queer appeal um, but I suppose compared to movies such like Devil Wears Prada and stuff I didn't think it was as good didn't have as scathing lines it was just a sort of catty essence so I, I went for a six um, storytelling mm-hmm. I'll kick this one off I went for a 7 because I really enjoyed how it catapulted me through but I did find some parts like what I said there when it sort of jumped time step wise at the start that I was like god I'm finding it hard to get get into this um, at the start but I thought it was good story unfurled naturally there was only one point where I doubted the conviction of the characters and that is when Brian is killed or well, so Bruce is killed Me- uh, Meryl and Goldie Hawn comes over, and then Meryl comes back to life. Goldie doesn't believe that Bruce is lying to her. She just goes, oh, she must be back from the dead, which I was like, okay, that, you wouldn't believe that. <laughs> yeah. That's so perfect. But other than that, I still thought it was a very compelling story, and it unfurled really well. And Field, in hindsight, really short. Like It felt like about 20 minutes when I think back at it, which I think is really a good sign. Mm-hmm. Brian? Uh yeah, no, I would go for I would go for seven, seven and a half. Um I do think, yeah, I think it was a tight story. I definitely do think the uh segment uh where it it cuts to uh Helen in the um 
in the hospital i think that could have been left i felt that that felt extraneous but then again like as you were saying like it's 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 it's, it's a tight film i think it's like one hour 40 i want to say yeah yeah so like that's like you know the guts of 90 a little bit over 10 minutes over 90 minutes that's a really good a good uh tight story um yeah and yeah like i mean there were certain elements of it that i, I suppose kind of lacked a bit of conviction definitely agree with you about the goldie Hawn bit when she finds the body and stuff but um no overall yeah i mean i do think i mean it's david Coep, like who did like panic room the guy knows how to kind of really structure a story in such a way that it's a it's it's a loop it's a closed loop um yeah and yeah, no, definitely. I'd go seven, seven and a half. Okay, James. So I, I, I scored a little bit lower. I, I went for six because I sort of the same thing that we've said throughout it. The, that bit in the, the the mental institution, even though it was a nice like little nod to one floor over the cuckoo's nest, which was kind of fun to see. I, I felt like it was unnecessary, and I would have preferred if perhaps they had given us some backstory of like why it was they hated each other. So like, because I found that kind of confusing. This sort of like like what like if they like why are they so tied to each other why did she want to introduce this mm-hmm. man to Meryl Streep at all when they're now adults and have no reason to be in each other's lives so like uh, I found that kind of a bit like I was kind of like I would have liked a bit more of that but then ultimately once the story got going um it, like it raced along it was super entertaining and engaging um but yeah there was those little bits that I was kind of those little bits that I was like I wish I knew more about their backstory where they came from and like had see, like even like instead of the bit in the the mental hospital, if they could have given us two children to actually act out that little bit about the two of them, like having the right the the thing about someone being cheap or whatever it was, I think that might have been a nicer way of kind of like getting us more invested early on and like why these two people were so connected to each other. Because mm. I was super confused. I was like, are they sisters? Are they in love with each other? Are they like just random friends? Like I I couldn't figure it out until kind of you get pretty much to the end of the film they're like oh this is why they've they're they're linked and uh, in terms of style brian what, what would you go for oh, i mean i i would give it like you know an an an, an eight a strong eight if not a, a nine mm. like i mean i think that the film it's so stylish like i mean in that garish over the top way but i mean it, it it is super stylish like i mean i think you know the costume work is fantastic i was already talking about goldie Hawn and her that the the, the the, the 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 costume she has when she's breaking into but Jessica Rabbit the whole Jessica Rabbit red dress thing absolutely love it um, and the production design as well like I love the fact that like you know it kind of the Liesel's house for example like you know it's a set but like it's almost kind of like yeah so like this whole film is ridiculous why do you think we would make this <laughs> look like it's a real a real house you know that sort of way um, and I think as well like the uh, yeah, just yeah, that kind of thing of like Liesel obviously, you know, uh, stopped the flow of time or whatever when in the jazz age in like the thirties or whatever. So it would make sense that everything she surrounds herself with is is of that time because she herself is frozen at that time. Yeah, that, that was really smart as well. But um, yeah, there's that funny scene where Elvis is in, at the party, right? Yeah. And it's supposed to be that he he, he just faked his death that he's still alive. Yeah, and like <laughs> even is... Andy, like I thought Andy Warhol, like I mean, he would have gone back a few years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Jim Morrison, like <laughs> Jim Morrison looks like 
you know, in his prime Jim Morrison. You're like, come on, Jim Morrison looked looked a mess when he. I mean, okay, fine. It it will improve everyone, you know that sort of way. Like, I know it will yeah, improve yeah. everyone or whatever, but like, they're not going to turn Jim Morrison back into, and even James Dean as well. Like James, like yeah. he died in a car crash. Like, I mean, like okay, maybe he faked his death or whatever, but like, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I did, I did love, I did love how. Um, yeah, that kind of willingness to, to, to make everything so overtly a film. I, d- I think that's another thing yeah. that you don't really see that much anymore. Yeah, I went for an 8.5 again. I loved it. And even on the topic of Andy Warhol in in their house, in Madeline's house, there's like a pop art of her, like the yeah. four pictures. Yeah. And like the, the Campbell's soup, whatever. I loved both in Liesl's house and Madeline's house. None of the doors were your standard door. They were all sort of like quarter circles and these weird sort of oval shapes and again like Lisa's house is great like when the elevator opens and just two dogs come out and they go and they sit in position like it just really really created the world for you and I felt totally detached from this world but yet really similar so yeah eight and a half for me yeah I, I, I went with an eight as well I love the style I thought that that Lisa was just like this amazingly sort of camp goddess felt like she'd walked out of a cartoon into the the, the movie her house was gorgeous the the styling like like that that costume that Meryl Streep wears when she gets pushed down the stair where she has like the pink throw over like the sort of like the dance costume is just like a, a spectacular and all of the characters seem like and I love like all the like little nods to different movies because like even now that you just mentioned like the dogs coming out of the the lift is that some am i right that that is a reference to ghostbusters or there's like a ghostbusters reference in there and like the second one where i could be wrong i know that there's doberman somewhere in ghostbusters maybe it's a thing it's uh, just to cut across yeah so the thing is is it's in the first one it's and i'm such a fucking nerd um it's gozer the gozerian is the dog who's the key master and it's um uh, Rick Moranis's character turns into this big, huge, giant dog that looks like a Doberman. Yeah, that's where you're getting that from. I think. I yes, think. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it's like I love all those little nods and those little Easter eggs, and like references back to stuff. And I do love how like lavish, the, like every single set is, and how over the top every single scene is, and and it, like it just is so stylish, start to finish. Like everything from the set, the production through to like the costumes is is just gorgeous. And I love how they contrast. The, like the stylishness of the women against the absolute like mundanity if that's even a word of of Bruce Willis's character like he is so dressed as like a like a it's a normcore professor it's normcore these, yeah he's, he's a, norm, a proper normcore he is totally he is like a normcore uh you know progeny like you know yeah fine you've got Seinfeld or whatever but yeah no he was normcore true and true like it was all beige and like kind of like pl- except, except yes, the bucket yeah. of Bloody Mary he got in the morning yeah. to drink that was too much but like everything else was like tweeds kind of beige total normcore and I was like yeah Yeah, like of course someone who's normcore would be married to this massive diva you know (laughs) like Meryl Streep you know that kind of way that makes total sense and even like Paris Hilton like she's the original one to go out wearing no top and just loads of necklaces and then you look at this and you're like no 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 no. Weasel did it she was doing it in the 20s (laughs) Uh, and uh, James, we'll start off with you there for enjoyability. 
at nine, I really enjoyed it. Like I, I just I'd forgotten how much I loved it, um, and it has made me want to go back and watch all of those movies that I have been referring to. So like I'm gonna go back and dig back into the the like early Tim Burton when he was like a director whose films you'd actually want to watch and like go back to some Mars Attacks, get myself some some Beetlejuice, go back and watch some Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like it it, it just reminded me how fun those that 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 era of camp films camp films I was like and I Hocus Pocus came out around the same time like it has that same mm. feeling it was so enjoyable just unrelentingly camp over the top not apologising for how ridiculous it is I thought it was brilliant Brian? Yeah I've got like a strong nine like yeah I mean it's so enjoyable and so quotable as well I forgot how quotable it was because like <laughs> like you know like I don't think anyone but Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep could say some of the lines and do it with the conviction that they did. Like, and I just I go back to the thing. My God, she's from Newark. It's just that it's like it's like you know like that that thing of like when you when you're watching the film and it's like someone makes a read of a line and it's like okay how many permutations did you go through before you landed yeah. on that particular one? I would have loved to have. I don't know, being a fly in the wall when she was doing her first read through and getting off book because I'd love to see what kind of, you know, yeah, permutations of a journey that line. Yeah, yeah, where did that go? Like, and why Newark? Like, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, is it just because, like, we think of her as cheap or something? I don't know. But yeah, yeah, no, definitely a strong nine. So funny. Aged very well, I think. I think it's aged really, really well. I think, yeah. You know, okay, some of the special effects might be a little bit kind of. My maybe data, but I think that only just adds to it. Like I think that only kind of adds to it. Um, but yeah, nine. God, yeah. I mean, I, I like I, I. I'm annoyed how how long I left it before watching it again. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, I was on nine as well. It just, it just, yeah, great. I just sat down and just thoroughly was invo- enveloped in it. Didn't check my phone. Well, I looked at my phone to get some background because I knew I was doing it for this, but I didn't find myself on Twitter or anything like that during it. I just thought I was totally enveloped. I hate that. I, I, I'm going to tell you now, f- your, if your boyfriend didn't call you out on that, fair play, because when my wife does it, it drives me up the wall. She, like And like the thing, like her thing, like <laughs> just, just to rant for a minute, but like, when people pause the film to ask a question about what's going on, I, I, I hate it. I, I just f- keep your questions to the end. This is meant to be a continuous process. You're meant to, it, it like the answer will be forthcoming. If it's not forthcoming, you weren't meant to know. Like Jesus, like I just and like I never like I, I'm guilty of taking my phone out. If a film is boring me, I'll do that a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. yeah, of course. But like. Stopping it and then being like, "What's going on here?" I hate, and I know I made a woman's voice there, but like, just I, I, Jesus! Uh, if people are listening to this, no, let the film the run to the end. Have your <laughs> That's not what I did though. Just to clarify, I just okay, checked. Like, right, what, right. what year did this come out? I looked up on my phone. Had Meryl won an Oscar at this point? There was <laughs> right. just sort things I was good. curious. Okay, good, good, good. I, I have, I have strong memories of going to the cinema with my parents and. My dad basically kind of seems to be incapable of following what's happening. So having to ask my mother what's going on. So sitting like in absolute like pained, awkward terror, uh, like that someone's going to turn around and tell us to shut up as my mother describes what's happening in the movie that we're all watching together to my dad. Yeah. Like if you're not- like, ever since that, I'm like, no, just watch the film. These like, you know, it's not it's not astrophysics being played out here. You know, you should be able to follow it. Yeah. Unless it's like tennis or something, which no one feckin got. No. Like, but like if it's. <laughs> Something like, if it's something like this, you can follow this. Like, you know, just if you've yeah. got questions, hold them to the end. Just 
please, like, and like for people listening to this as well, for the audience listening as well, like, I get it. Okay, some things are confusing, but Jesus, just hold it to the end. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Christ, like, sorry, if you can't follow that. the plot, just enjoy the uh, costumes. Yeah, that's it. It's it's moving pictures. There's sound. You'll follow. You'll be grand. Like, just just let let it happen. Like Jesus, like, don't you don't need to do this. Like. In the world where Hocus Pocus 2 is on the way out, I presume we are in agreement to say that we don't want a sequel to this movie. Oh, God, no. God, no. Jesus, no. But if no. we, if there was to be a recreation, who would we cast in the main two roles Ooh. based on, on today's suite? I think... Hmm. Oh, oh, no, I've got it. I've totally got it. I've... Yes. Okay. <laughs> I've got it. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson and Natalie Portman. Boom. There you go. Oh, Natalie Portman. Oh. Yes. I, I was thinking, what about Emily Blunt? Yeah, oh. maybe. Yeah, yeah. Now that you say it. I, but like, I, I, mean, like, I see Scarlett though. Yeah, go yeah. on. I, I, you know, I was, I was going Scarlett Johansson, but I was going Scarlett Johansson and Tora Birch for like that sort of Ghost World reunion. But Tora Ooh. Birch hasn't really been doing much in the in the last while. And then I was trying to think who would be my who would be my Isabella Rossellini. Um... And guide mm. Lady Gaga. I, I just yeah. <laughs> I could see her doing it. I could see her being yeah, good at it. Like that's sort of Italian heritage, and she'd love to come out wearing just a necklace and coming out oh, of that absolutely. water and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I could totally imagine her like mangling that accent, like just car wreck mangling that accent. Like yeah, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and who's going to be our beige Bruce Willis? Oh, one of the Chris's, like Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pine, you know, like give them the, give them the, like make them all blotchy, give them thin and hair. Yeah. One yeah. of the Chris's, one of the Chris's yeah. throw them in there. Like, cause like fair play to Bruce Willis. Like, I mean, this was, he was coming off the back of like, you know, Die Hard with a Vengeance, The Last Boy Scout or whatever. Yeah. For him to be like, make me look as unattractive and as completely you know completely against type like fair play like i, I yeah. give him credit like and like and there's another line that came but it's like do you know what they do to, do you know what they do with with soft bald fat republicans in prison like that line <laughs> like like and he is a republican that's the other part as well he is republican as well he's a big stinking ugly republican like and fair play for him to having that like yeah, that yeah. awareness of himself yeah So there was our chat with Brian M. Lloyd about Death Becomes Her. I hope you enjoyed it. That was actually one of my favorite episodes we've done in a while, I think. No, I, I really enjoyed it. it. And also, like, I love the opportunity to go back and, like, Annie used to go back and watch um, Death Becomes Her, uh, remember it so clearly from. And, like, looking back at it now, because you didn't notice it at the time, kind of how much it, like, was in that same vein of the movies that were happening, the kind of Tim Burton, Batman, that kind of whole thing. It's, like, really fun. Recommend it to go back and uh, and watch it again. And it's great to chat to such an expert like Brian, who knows their stuff of all sort of varieties, yeah. and just you throw out a reference and then they bat it out a bit more, like, you know. Yeah, no, it was, re- it was really good. Perfect guest for a perfect episode. But <laughs> if you were here to try and hear out what was going on in Drag Race Holland this week, don't be disappointed, because we'll be back next week with a double bill. Yeah, we'll be covering episode two and three next week. So let us know your thoughts of the episode and we can chat through them with you. Uh, hit us up on Instagram at sissy.pod, send us a DM, a voice message, and just let us know if you are happy for it to be included in the episode and we'll go through your thoughts then. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, let us know 
you know, if there's other movies you'd like us to cover or other sort of queer cultural things, and uh, yeah, maybe we'll get around to it. Um, I mean, well, no, if 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 our if our premium feed subscribers ask us to recap a movie, True. we will recap that movie. <laughs> we will recap, we will recap it. Damn movie. <laughs> yeah. Right, we'll be back with you next week. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye bye. <clears throat>